Hey everyone, my name is Josh Rosenberg and I'm one of the co-hosts of About Practice, a podcast about research and practice in education. While most of our episodes are about those topics, research, practice, and education, and how they all relate, this episode's a little bit different. It was a chance for Ryan and I to reflect on our last year with topics that are closely related to the focus of this podcast and kind of a bit broader topics in nature, like what one of our at least favorite movies was. The other doesn't really watch those. Um, It was a good chance for me to learn from Ryan as always, and and maybe a chance for me to kind of reflect on uh, what's been a long and winding, but ultimately a rewarding year uh, over the last 12 months. Um, We hope you enjoy the show. Um, As always, be in touch with any feedback or uh, thoughts for us. Well, boy, if we want to be like super authentic about it, we were chatting, you know, it's been busy. It's the holiday season. And then for you, like you've got your courses and stuff wrapping up. Uh, And so, you know, we had pushed the recording out a little bit, but then we also didn't know what to talk about. That was like, that was one of the things. So I think where we landed was, well, we'll just do like a end of year wrap up, like a holiday special you know, best of yeah. what are your favorite things. Right. And, uh, I don't know. I think this is going to be fun. Actually. I'm kind of glad that we're doing this. <laughs> should we preview like all I got to So, we're, you know, like, I don't know that we can get through all of these, but like, should we preview, uh, all of the, the little categories here? Yeah. Do you want to? Yeah. Yeah. You wanna read them off? Yeah. Yeah. So we got a few here, uh, in no particular order, favorite books, Favorite movies. These, of course, are ones that we not necessarily made in 21, but just stuff that we've consumed. Uh, most interesting creative project, favorite podcast episode, favorite research article, lesson we learned, favorite time waster, favorite YouTube video, and favorite song. So, first up, favorite books. I don't know about you, but like I had a bunch here. I'm just, I'm probably going to just randomly pick one of the uh, six that, that I picked out. Did did you have the same experience? I think there's some like, it's, it's hard not to be affected by like a recency bias for me in terms of like, yeah, which books I read at least in the last month or two compared to like January. So Mm -hmm. I have three in mind. I'll share briefly on. Okay. I'll pick one to say, I can't wait. Mention the names of the other two. Go for it. Let's hear the three. All right. Um, it's it's funny. I um, two of them my wife bought for me at a, a used book sale, and um, oh, I have to mention another one too because she <laughs> she bought me a third book. Oh boy. Okay. So I'll mention the two I had in mind, and then the yeah. third one, and then there's a fourth one now. But um. The first one was called uh, Called Again, A Story of Love and Triumph by Jennifer Farr Davis. And it's a story of um, a runner who set the um, Appalachian Trail uh, fastest known time record. Um, She ran it in, I forget now. Oh, no, I've got it open here. 47, no, 46 days. She broke uh, broke the record by roughly half a day. Um, Just loved loved every part of the book. uh, another one, my, my wife's got my kind of genre pinned down here, uh, Crazy for, for the Storm, mm. a memoir of survival by Norman, uh, I think it's o- Olestad. And he was like a, a not even a teenager, um, a, a young kid who was in a uh, 11-year-old who was in a plane crash in California, mm. basically hiked down from this mountain. Um, it's a story really about him parenting his own kid, I found more than anything else. And I just, mm. just really connected with it. Um, strangers in high places, the story of the great smoky mountains. There's like literally like literally probably, well, I'll say literally hundreds. I know that for sure. Books on the Smokies. This one is just like really, really good. I thought it was, um, really fair in its treatment of kind of not of of the not recent history of the Smokies. So the Smokies were, uh, an area where people lived for thousands of years before, um, before European settlers in approximately the late 1700s, early 1800s. And this book, I thought, dove into the history of the people who lived here really, um, really well and just amazing stories, just loved it. Okay, the last book, Uh uh-oh, I don't have this one pulled up. So on the fly, Googling here. Um, 
he's a Californian. Oh, he was in California for many years. And um, the author moved to the Smokies, um, which is like a really a real through line here of my books. But um, uh, oh, no. Um, this is in the vein of that authenticity, Ryan, that you mentioned earlier. Yeah, let's do it. Full blown <laughs> authentic. <laughs> um, oh, no. All right. I'm going to turn it over to you. And it's going to come to me in the meantime. And then, and then I'll mention this one. Okay. Oh, because you, did you, did you blank on the title? <laughs> I totally blanked on the title, <laughs> but I love the book and I can tell you like all about it. I, the, I can't, the, no, so, I can't wait. Well, I kind okay. of want you to find it though, because I want to, at least for like 45 seconds or a minute or something, like talk, talk about just kind of the theme here. Like, uh, you know, wh- what you think these books say about you, like the way that you picked these for. Um, thanks. Um, yeah, I can do that. And, um, oh, it's going to drive me bananas. To yeah. Take your time. Find the book. So, all right. I'm going to do it. <laughs> I'm so embarrassed. I can't remember. Okay. Um, so, okay. So he wrote, um, he's written many books. One book that I think got him on the radar people was a book on, um, trees. Um, uh, president Obama, like picked it out as one of his favorite books of the year a couple of years ago. I, I read that book and I didn't finish it. I didn't love it. Um, and then my wife bought me his recent novel. Um, and someone listening to this is going to be like, it's, that's his name. It's so obvious. I'm... I, I've done just a little bit of research here based on the thing about the trees and uh, Richard powers. There you go. <laughs> Sorry. You, <laughs> as soon as you said that for some reason, uh, uh, yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Thanks, Ryan. Sorry for interrupting you. Oh, it's okay. Uh, Bewilderment was the name of the book. Got it. Um, that, it's an, it's a novel. That's the one about the Smoky Mountains. Well, it's it's in large part. Uh, well, it's so it's it's really it's set in Madison, Wisconsin. But they he he this father and his son take a gosh, it makes me like tear up to even talk about it. Um, they take a trip to the Smokies, and it, it mm. sort of begins and ends with with that, and mm. um. Yeah, I mean, talk about a through line. I guess three out of the four books uh, are uh, uh, two are in the Smokies. One is Appalachian Trail, and then one is this um, this California author. Um, what's the yeah? What's the through line? I mean, this was really. I guess maybe this will come up in my other answers too. But um, yeah, just like really dedicated all my free time to reading about um, this area. Uh, Would you know. call that like uh, broadly speaking? the outdoors or is it uh, a little more specific than that? I think it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. It's kind of at the nexus of something I haven't been interested in a long time. History um, mm. is one, although that, don't, that really only shows up in one of the four books, but it's something I've read a lot more of this year than in the past. Um, so like human history and then like natural history slash kind of science and then like this element of sort of like outdoor adventure or sort of like exploring. And uh, yeah, I think those are kind of the, the things. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. That's pretty cool. I know you've been writing a lot, writing a lot about, uh, about, about the outdoors and your, your adventures with the family and stuff. So not, not entirely surprised that this is a, uh, this is a theme for you. It's still pre- pretty cool. Pretty cool. <laughs> thanks. 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 How about you? What are your okay. uh, books of the year? Uh, so I've got three, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do four. You did four, right? I did four. Okay. I'm going to do four also. Uh, first one, uh, is a book called range by, uh, David Epstein. And I think I've talked about that, uh, on a previous episode and basically range is a, uh, it is, uh, it makes an argument for being a generalist exploring a lot of different things rather than, you know, specializing in one, you know, which of course on some level that's subjective, we can find stories that support both, but I really like it because I've always naturally just wandered around things. You know, my interests are just sort of very, and sometimes, you know, I get really deep in, or many times I get really deep into something and then I, I sort of get what I need from it and I move on. Maybe I'll go back to that later on in life. Or maybe I won't. Um, but you know, I've learned as an adult that I, uh, I begin to draw the connection across 
different experiences, whether if it's like, you know, my experimenting with photography or writing or something like that. This book spoke to me because, you know, when I was younger, I was, uh, I always kind of felt like maybe that wasn't a good thing, you know, because I, uh, you know, because I was maybe worried I wasn't going to get good at any particular thing that was apparently was a thing I valued when I was younger. Um, and this book really kind of makes the argument for like, you know, they, they talk about some real big real world sort of problems that are solved by people who have experience outside the industry experience and therefore could bring just interesting ideas to complex problems, you know, and, and solve them. So I really love that. That's range by David, Ep David Epstein. Uh, the next one is a book by Jessica Abel called out on the wire. This is a graphic novel. And uh, Out on the Wire is her telling uh, 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 about the stories of um, these podcasters uh, who are roughly associated with each other just because of like the level of quality. They're just kind of these really, you know, skilled storytellers, uh, the folks from This American Life and um, Planet Money, uh, you know, the, and she interviews a bunch of them and then creates this graphic novel that is all about how these folks tell stories. Boy, I learned a lot from this book. I mean, for podcasting in particular, but just storytelling in general. Later on, we're going to talk about lessons learned. And I, and, and I think the lesson that I will talk about comes directly from, you know, from this. But just the art of storytelling, the art of discovering a story, you know, being good with the facts, but also having the intuition for when those facts are interesting and when they're not like, you know, really just great. I, I loved it so much. That's uh, out on the wire by Jessica Bell. Um, next one is a book called the Anthropocene reviewed by John green. Uh, later on, we're going to talk about favorite podcast episodes and I'll, I'll probably go back to this again, but he did a series of uh, the novelist, John green did, did a series of podcasts called the Anth Anthropocene review podcast episodes um where uh he he rates human phenomenon like worldly phenomenon on a five-star scale which is just kind of, <laughs> it's just funny because each of the episodes are the they each contain two topics which are loosely thematically linked but so loosely that they're just freaking <laughs> hilarious to like just even look at them you know one of them let me see. I'm going to, I'm going to pull one up just to, to illustrate how hilarious just the titles are, you know, in the top. My, my wife read this book and I, um, I read a little bit of it, roughly yeah. 60 pages, probably. Yeah. Did you enjoy it? Well, <laughs> <laughs> I found, <laughs> I found, okay. So I'm sorry. I should no, have please go. Dude, this is no, this is exactly what I want. <laughs> oh, you're kind. I found, uh, is this kind of sacrilegious to, to criticize no. um, John Green, but um, no. I found his writing a little like too self-aware, mm. like too too much like signaling, signposting, kind yeah. of self-consciousness. Um, yeah, I don't Th know. That's an interesting point. Yeah, because I could see that. I could see uh, there's an inner like and re very reflective. Ex even though he's talking about you know things that are in the material world. He's uh, he's exploring internally that he's reflecting on his own life. It has a memoir, really memoirish kind of feel to it. Um, yeah. And yeah, that's, yeah, that's helpful. Yeah, yeah, it's um, not a bad thing. It, yeah, that, I think that's that's what I missed was that it's got that memoir element to it. Definitely, yeah. And I was it, thinking it of it more as like nonfiction, and it, it wasn't. It was a little more. Oh, no. yeah, yeah, yeah. On its surface, it is. I think you could. I think you do learn a lot of interesting facts and stuff like that, but it is far from dispassionate, you know, let's put it that way. Like, you know, I think it really is. These come from a personal place for him. Uh, you know, is the sense that I get, uh, there's a really great, like, so like the podcast, they always pair like these two, you know, topics. Um, but like, you know, for example, one of them is, uh let's see i'm gonna find a particularly funny one. Oh, air conditioning and sycamore trees is one gray aliens and the game rock paper scissors is another <laughs> i 
so there's just funny, you know, just the art. He does what I so one of the things I really like about it is clearly this is an author who uh who enjoys deep research. I mean, he's yeah. still, like he just he turns up some stuff that I'm like, whoa, that's crazy. Um, I also like the way he writes it, I like his the voice. So interesting story is you know, I listened to this podcast and I loved it. Uh and I just thought uh, this is the way he talked. And, and then I learned later, just because I was, heard him in an interview, that he writes them and then he basically reads them. This is impo- was important to me because it, I realized maybe that's what one way, maybe that's one way that I think of a writer as good is if like when I read them or I listen to somebody read their work, it just sounds like them, like they're talking. And I, and I began to aspire to write in a way that's like, does that sound like me? Does that actually sound like me? You know? And, and uh, you know, and I think his writing in that way is, uh, is inspirational for me. Um, okay. So that's Anthropocene review by John Green's so as range midnight library, Anthropocene review uh, reviewed. Um Oh, out on the wire. Oh, was the other one. And then Midnight Library is is, is my next one. This is a fiction book. Uh, Midnight Library is by uh, Matt Haig. Are you familiar with this book? No. no. Okay, it's a book about somebody who. Uh, this is not a spoiler. This happens literally like within the first few paragraphs of the book. There's a person who dies, um, and she uh, um, finds herself in a library in the afterlife. And each of the books in the library is an alternate reality for her. Um, and, and her character, she's somebody who had a lot of regret about what she hadn't done. And so it's an, and so the book is an exploration of like, well, what would happen if you actually got to, cause she could then pick the books off of the shelf and experience what she thought her life should have been. Um, and the book is basically a collection of stories of, the maturing of that point of view <laughs> because she learns in each of these alternate lives, the give and take of each of these sort of scenarios. Right. And, and ultimately learns the larger lesson of that, that point of view. And uh, that, that, that kind of give or take kind of trade-offs kind of view. I don't want to give too much away, but it, it, it just challenges the idea that one can, you know, it's a little bit like what we were talking about earlier, right? It's like that one can have a path that is defined entirely as good or bad, right? And that, you know, and there's a little bit to, you know, about it's cliched. I wish I could say it in another way that's not so cliche because it's so corny, but like, but I think it's real and it's, and I think it's kind of the message is that there is that maybe the point on some level is about the experience and not about like what you could say you've done. And, you know, it really goes sort of, she experiences like a, there's, there's a few moments where she realizes the truth of that. And, uh, and I just think it's excellent the way, uh, you know, Matt Haig tells that gets that lesson across because it is such a corny yeah. thing, basically, you know, it's about the journey and not the destination, right? It's just such a corny thing to say, <laughs> And, and I think because it is corny and said so much, it's hard to tell a story that makes that feel fresh and real. But he, t- for me, he pulled it off and I was like, this is really making me think. I really like this. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Can I add on um, the, the, the last book I mentioned the, yeah. um, um, was the first novel I've read, first not, uh, fiction book I've read in like literally 10 years. Whoa. Uh, I can't think of one. I mean, it might be longer, might be a little yeah. shorter, but mm-hmm. um. And um, yeah, like you said, makes makes you think. Like that was really surprising for me. The extent to which how how much that book um, made me like. I think the thing it. I have to admit, I'm picking this up from someone else, but um, who who recommended like reading fiction to understand like the range of different experiences that people oh, have yeah. in the world. Yeah, and that that book it just like made me feel things reading it, which was really yeah. like there. Okay, here's here's how I can sum it up the number of times where I like said either like to myself or said aloud, like, Oh my gosh, was like infinitely greater than in fiction. I never say that when reading fiction. Like, yeah. Rare, rarely where this book, even though I knew like on one level, like it was 
fiction. It's someone's imagination that they. Those oh my gosh moments for you were they like you were resonating with an an emotion or like what? I don't know. I think it just like I don't know if it was resonating or it just like hit me somehow. Like mm -hmm. wow, like that can happen. Like not even I don't even, I don't think it's even resonating actually. It's more it's a little more disconnected for better or worse. I yeah. Just, I mean, it's some, yeah, I, I didn't say wow, like those moments I mentioned earlier that made me like feel like really connected when this dad is with this kid in this movie. Mm -hmm. It's just like un unbelievable, but like unbelievable, like the connection I felt there. But yeah, this was more just like wow, like wow. Like I, I don't think I say that when watching movies or TV shows either, but it's just like, yeah. Wow. I mean, it's weird. I still think this is so interesting because in theory, nonfiction should be able to evoke the same kind of reaction, right? And I think probably it does many times. But I get what you mean. It's it's different. It's different somehow, right? Like it's I don't know what that is. Yeah, like I don't know. I can think about like reading like a, a programming book where it's like, wow, like wow, you can do that. Like wow, you can analyze, you know, a, a gigabyte worth of data in memory. Like wow, but that's like different. It's not the same wow. I think. Yeah, yeah. That you, that one could write a fictional account of getting up in the morning and making a cup of coffee and somehow make that a wow moment is, is quite an amazing. I mean, I don't know if that's literally happened, but I, it's not, it would not surprise me if somebody had done that. And yeah. that's remarkable. I think it's very human. <laughs> yeah. Human's the word. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God, Josh. Right. We like, <laughs> this is only the first category. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> okay. So maybe we can great. go a little, more expeditiously but ryan let me ask you can you lead off on favorite movies yeah favorite movies okay um i got two uh one is called the lighthouse you heard of this mm, no okay uh it's like a, what i would characterize as like an art house film uh it, you know it's very uh experimental it's experiments with different imagery and stuff some things that don't quite make a lot of sense done entirely in black and white has Robert Pattinson in it stars Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe who play two uh, sailors who are charged with a rotation on an island to take care of a lighthouse. And uh, this is definitely not, uh, you know, for any of you listeners, I would not watch this with your kids. <laughs> There's a lot of disturbing stuff in it, but the basic idea like themes explored here is um, uh, the nature of, work, the nature of uh, guilt in one's past, I think the nature of control. It's, I, would, I, would, I would call this like a psychological thriller. It, it, pay, it plays almost like a, like a play. These are the only two characters and it takes um, place in this very small setting. There's a lot of dialogue and there's a lot of just sort of watching, you know, there, you know what, what happens between these two. Uh, so that's called The Lighthouse and that was pretty good. Uh, and then uh, one I just saw recently, called The French Dispatch. It's a Wes Anderson movie. I loved this movie. Uh, it is a, a story about a fictional um, newspaper or like magazine, uh, which is, is I'm told or I've read, is roughly inspired by uh, Wes Anderson's love for The New Yorker. And, uh, you know, it's everything you'd expect from a Wes Anderson movie, but it is different in the sense that it's basically, I think, three um, stories about the writing of these three different art, I think four different articles. Uh, but I loved it because I didn't know this about it until I saw it, but it's a, it's a story about writers and about writing. And I was like, wow, I really, uh, you know, I really liked it. And it's just so wacky and, you know, and weird, but at the same time, uh, you know, the tensions that a writer has to resolve as they try to tell stories and what they bring them from themselves to the stories that they write um, was really, really fun. And I just, I didn't even know it was about that. It's a Wes Anderson. I love Wes Anderson movies. I'm going to watch every Wes Anderson movie that comes out. But like, I, but when I got there, I'm like, oh, this is about writers. This is really cool. <laughs> so those are my two, uh, The Lighthouse and The French Dispatch. Just flagging that, I think your recommendations will make a great like follow-up for for me like yeah uh i i think these are great recommendations um uh okay so i can save us a little bit of time here um i, I i'm not trying to be like quirky or weird i literally <laughs> literally can't remember a movie i watched this year i um maybe i'm trying a little bit but i i um i was just trying to scroll through netflix seeing if i could look at my history or whatever 
I, I am terrible with movies. My, I think I've mentioned this in another episode, but I can't remember actor or actresses' names. I can't remember the names of the characters in the movie. It's not that I can't focus. I don't know if it's that, but I just, for some reason, movies just, <laughs> movies and I don't work. We don't play well together. So it's an investment in time, you know, for, yeah, that's, that's hard. Too. Yeah. At least 90 minutes, right? If not, at least for the yeah. most part. So yeah, maybe next year. I'll, uh, yeah. Yeah. That's all, that's all I got. All right. Most <laughs> interesting creative project. You want to start on this one? Yeah, I guess I'll say one thing just that I'm proud of. I am. Um, Gosh, I feel like a broken, not a broken record, but just like someone might imagine, like, is this all that I, I think about in my spare time? But um, I wrote, um, <clears throat> wrote a blog post on Smokies. Uh, it's, uh, it's just like, I felt like I wasn't so, imp- I wasn't so happy with it. I don't think it's necessarily the most interesting because, um, because of the content so moving away from the content, the the Smokies and, you know, whatever, I was just proud of how I wrote it. I felt like I sort of like in this blog post, like felt like I was writing like uh, in a way that was not persuasive or kind of, you know, um, I don't know, declarative, like maybe some of the like um, like journal publishing that I try to do. But I don't know. I felt like it was like it. it, it pulled on a different thread. It was a little bit more like, I guess for lack of a better term, this is way too generous to me, but it was a little like poetic, I guess. Yes. Yeah. And I was proud of that, putting that out in the world. Yeah, oh, you should be. Thanks. Yeah. There is, there is something about that. I think it feels, it feels good to, uh, to have purpose when you write, you know, which is like, in my experience, that's harder than it sounds. You know, sometimes it's like, you got a brief, you know, you know, you got to write a story yeah. about a, you know, write a chapter about how to, you know, work with tables or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. And, and so you have that there, but like how to execute that story in a way that feels right to you is like a fair, I have found that is a very difficult thing to do. And when you do yeah. it, you almost stumble on it on accident and it just feels so good. <laughs> It feels so like, right. <laughs> I, I thought of you as I was writing this and in reflecting on it in that you said something in a recent podcast episode. Um, I, it really stuck with me. You said like, I want readers to pick up the book. You were talking about the K-12 um, educators data guide book, um, wherever they kind of see, you know, fit or useful. But I think it's also kind of cool to read through from start to finish. Cause there's an experience there that I, I kind of intentionally kind of, tried to work on and um i think that um was what i sort of experienced in a small way in this blog post where i felt like it sort of started with this kind of like theme and then it sort of like ended and kind of resolved that kind of i don't know hook or tension that was introduced in the theme and i was really just proud of that simple 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 narrative arc yeah um and it does feel really yeah it feels really satisfying it almost feels to me like a whole body experience and that it's like you have to like focus you have to like really be in a certain mental even yeah. physical space i found which is really concerning because i can't be in that space very often <laughs> i mean i think that's the that's that's the problem right is like it's, it can be so hard to conjure it you almost just have to yeah you know i hate to use the word muse because i don't really believe in that approach but like there is i do have you know i have experience like i think the reason why it's important to show up every day as a writer is because you just don't know if that's going to be the day Oh, that's helpful. Okay. So I think t- the typical justification for showing up every day is like, you know, get like 200 words on the page, or at least that's like my naive assumption of what that advice is based mm-hmm. on. But you're saying something different, which is more like, no, like some days you won't do much, but you can kind of capitalize on those rare moments when kind of the sunlight is shining through just right. And you're, that's you know, definitely properly... it. I mean, the <laughs> yeah. 200 words thing or hundred words or whatever it is that you, you know, whatever it is you set as a goal, um, you, you know, I think that does serve a function in the sense that in my experience, you, you can write your way into those moments, right? It's much harder to just kind of wish them to come. Um, that's still no guarantee they're going to come. You know, I still have a lot of days. It just doesn't ever come. You know, I crank out a couple hundred words painstakingly and, you know, I'm not too, too hard on myself about that because I know the way I have enough experience with this now that I know how this works. Um, but I know that at some point, 
right in the middle of those 200 words might be within the last 10 <laughs> words. It'll be like, whoa, something is happening here. And this is, you know, pretty cool. And, and those are the moments that you love, right? But like, you just, you know, you kind of, you show up every day for the chance at that. I don't know, maybe really, maybe really, really great writers can sort of conjure it, you know, at will, but like, I'm certainly, that's not, has not been my experience. <laughs> I, I think that's really, I've never, I mean, maybe that's common. Is that, is that fairly conventional kind of advice among kind of writers, but I have, I am attracted to the uh, style of writing advice that is like that, you know, that is kind of like, look, you can't control everything. You can just show up and that's the work. You just, you, you shift your mind from the work is about being a best-selling writer or, you know, a published writer or something like that. And you shift it to the process, which is no, yeah, none of that yeah, is the yeah. work that just comes. If it comes, the work is you show up. And I think there's probably yeah. a lot of different ways to, but that's, I am attracted to that point of view. So I, I read a lot of stuff that tends to take that point. I of love view. it. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I, that, I've never heard that before yeah. put with, in, with that kind of level of degree of nuance. And mm. I, yeah, I love it. Yeah. How about you? Favorite, uh, most interesting creative project? Okay. So mine, this, mine is, uh, I don't want to call it weird, but it's, a, it's, it's an unusual one. Um, I, inspired by uh, um, this Instagram community of people who write with fountain pens, uh, they, <laughs> I have <laughs> like gotten. Was that insulting? Sorry. I didn't. No, okay. no. I completely okay. understand the reaction. This is so like niche and <laughs> like out there. But I have gotten so into this, like writing with fountain pens, writing, uh, you know, not like calligraphy, because I don't really have that level of skill, but thinking of writing and penmanship uh, as an art. And uh, there's a great uh, Instagram account, just saying so at just saying so. And um and he really, boy, like, you know, I, I found his account and, you know, I'm not like an entire, like fountain pens aren't entirely like a new thing. You know, I sort of dabbled in them before just for fun, but like uh, now I just kind of see it in a different way. Like it's an interesting medium because it's like, there's the writing part of it, but it's almost entirely like closer to something like a painting or poetry than it is, you know, writing a book. Like the technical elements of what it's like to use a fountain pen and the different ways that you can get a different look out of the way, you know, your writing looks. And then there's always, which to me is like always the fun part is always a little bit of that's left to chance that you can never control. Like my writing is always going to look different from somebody else's. Um, there's some technical elements to it, you know, to it that are fun too, because like just the combination of like the paper, the pen and the inks, and, and how those three combine to create like something that is aesthetically pleasing or thought provoking or, you know, just curious. So I've been spending a lot of time doing that. One thing that I, you know, last thing I'll say about this, this is a lot, has been a larger gesture to myself that like, you know what, uh, you know, let's be nice to the creative self here and indulge something that is completely outside of my own personal stimulation from this has no purpose. <laughs> it just, I'm not going to be a fountain pen salesperson. I am not going to be a calligraphy artist. Uh, I am not going to be dealing in like paper and pens and inks for like a living. It has no other purpose other than that. It just delights me <laughs> to create stuff with this. And uh, I'm leaning into that idea because, you know, strangely, it's just kind of, it's positively affected the, my other creative work, which I actually do get paid for, right? Because it it is introduced a sense of play and freedom and permission, you know, cause it's because it's such a luxury, you know, just to just be like, I'm going <laughs> to write on this fancy paper <laughs> and try to make, you know, try to make my handwriting look, you know, pretty by way of this uh, pen and this ink. <laughs> What, what is it? What is your reaction to that? <laughs> <laughs> I think I had the same reaction of um, a couple episodes back when you shared with me, uh, might've been one episode back about the, um, 
the book on like cultivating your inner kind of creativity and, yeah. and artistic sense. I think I had the same response <laughs> where you could tell I had some, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, hesitancy. Um, no, I like, I like the idea of, of it. I guess to be totally honest, my reaction was like, can I be totally honest? Please. I, I, I would love yes that. I would love that. My, my, my thought was like, Oh my gosh. Like, how do you find the time for it? That was my first thought. Oh, yeah. And, um, not in a bad way, truly not in a yeah. way, like not in a, like a passive aggressive way, like, and maybe to, to, to maybe, you know, put that a little differently, like, how do you find the time for that? Like to put it more like, like, I'm curious, like, I've had enough people, yeah. I've had enough people ask me that question that I actually started to think about it. And I think I have two answers, which may or may not be interesting. I don't know. One is that, um, my kids are older and, um, Part of it is, uh, you know, they, on some level, they can look after themselves for a lot of things, right? And, and that, it, you know, if you, I, I've chosen to convert that into more time for my interests. I, I think that's part of it. You, you know, I wasn't going deep into fountain pens when my kids were like babies. You know, like that's just <laughs> like, it's just hard, right? Uh, I think the other is like, there's a lot that I don't do. Um, and sometimes I wish I, I did, you know, I mean, I'm like, there's nothing about this that is a, like a value judgment or anything like that, but it's just, there are, you know, for example, I won't go into specifics, but like, as I participate in other conversations with like, you know, people at work or with my friends and stuff like that, um, there's a lot of stuff that I'm just like, Oh, I have, yeah, I don't really spend my time, um, doing that. And again, there's no value judgment in that. It's just, uh, it's just that like, you know, where I spend my time on writing or the fountain pens or something, other people spend it on, on, on other things that are maybe just not weird. (laughs) (laughs) So like I, you know, one time somebody asked me, uh, so do you ever like sleep? And my response was like, sleep is like one of the most important things to me. Honestly, it is. Like, cause I can't function and I would, I would make the argument that if I did, if I wasn't sleeping, I probably wouldn't get half as much done because like, I've learned that sleep is just kind of like a, you know, it's, it's a, uh, it's necessary to, for, for my mental, you know, my facility, like I just need it because I've seen what happens when I don't do it, you know? So like, uh, but one of these days, I think I'm just going to make a list of things that like, I'm not able to do because I chose to do some, do, do these things instead. And I think that would kind of be an interesting list to, to make. All right. Next up, uh, favorite podcast episode. You want to start on this one? Yeah. Um, I, I love a podcast called conversations with Tyler. Um, it's, uh, hosted by, um, uh, someone named Tyler Cowan. My favorite episode was an um, interview with one of my favorite public intellectuals, uh, Zainab, uh, Tufekshi. I think sort of the breadth of the way that Zainab thinks about things um, with kind of depth in kind of areas where needed is um, kind of an inspiration for me. It might relate back to that idea, um, those ideas from that book that you described, uh, Range by David Epstein. I think that, um, yeah, that's it. She, she, and she kind of talked about like what made her kind of work the way she does and she talked about her background in in programming and sort of being able to learn enough about a field to kind of make connections and and um i think i see that as her kind of strength and um for those of you for anyone who's not familiar um zainab uh has done a lot of public communication around covid in the last two years and has just been really good very um probably in my view one of the more um informative and also like accurate in terms of how her forecasts have been kind of shown to come to be accurate or to, to be true. So sorry, that was a long, long, long-winded description of that episode, but um, yeah. I'm looking it up right now because this sounds really interesting. I want, I want to listen to this. Um, tell me again, the name of the podcast. Yeah, sure. Um, the podcast is conversations with Tyler and Tyler Cowan interviews um, different, different people from all kind of different professional and professional roles and, places <clears throat> cool super cool. uh what, what about you what's your uh top 
podcast episode? Uh, I'm going to go back to, uh, to John Green's Anthropocene Reviewed. Uh, there was a really great episode he did um, somewhat recently, like in the last few months. Um, and the two topics were the title of the episode is Iceland Hot Dog Stand and Signing Your Name 250,000 Times. <laughs> I, just lo- I just love that. Um, you know what I think I like about this is I have no idea how he wrote this, but like uh, I wonder how much of it is like, what happens if I take these two experiences that meant something to me and I, tr- I just try to find the connection between them. Um, you know, one, one story is the Iceland hot dog stand is about a uh, trip that he made with some friends to, um, to Iceland and, uh, and just their experience there together, the tension between like, you know, the couple that they went with who are, you know, the way that they travel is they need to see like every possible thing. And the way he travels is like, he likes to stay in this hotel. And um, just the experience they had, you know, accidentally just like stumbling on the world uh, handball championship in Iceland, which Iceland won at the time. And just what, what that experience was like, found out by accident, um, you know, punctuated by the uh, visit to what apparently is this really like popular hot dog stand in Iceland. Um, and then the second half of the episode is his endeavor to sign the first 250,000 um, copies of uh, the Anthropocene reviewed. Um, and so he sat there like in his basement signing, you know, 250,000 pages and just about what the repetitive nature of that kind of gives to him and how it relates to his, you know, mental, his struggles with mental health and stuff like that. And so um, just really uh, a really interesting balance between something that just feels so random and hilarious and quirky, but also like personal and serious in some ways, right? Like not overly, but enough to get you thinking. Um, a word that he uses a lot that I really like is just wonder to take part in the wonder of, you know, things, you know, and, and uh, I don't know, I really like that idea. And, it, and, and, you know, and I got a lot of that from this particular episode. Is, um, is Green's podcast still like actively releasing episodes? No. no, I don't think so. He did a, so he stopped to make the book because the, the podcast then inspired the book. So he stopped to make the book. And then in support of the book, he recorded like a short run of like three more episodes, uh, which were also like really, really good, you know, really good. But then I don't think he's making them anymore. Even his ad reads, his ad reads are like really funny. Too. <laughs> cool. <laughs> All right. Let me, before we move on. Okay. So at, so flag for edit on this one, uh, two things. How are we on time? Yeah, not good. <laughs> really? Are we over like an hour of recording time? Um, I mean, we're not bad. That I mean, it sound like that, but um, uh, I mean, I think we're probably at about 50 minutes right now 50 minutes okay you want to so go not, for it's not terrible i'm i don't think we should end just yet. you want to go long. i just don't want you to have like too 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 much to to take on do you want to do like maybe two yeah, more categories to... oh i'm losing you man Are you back? Oh, yeah, you're back now. I lost you for like 30 seconds. <laughs> Sorry, Ryan. My that's, internet was a little choppy. That's all right. Uh, how are you feeling about it? You want to go like one more category, two more? Sorry, my internet's gotten super choppy all of a that's sudden. Okay. There we go. Better. Um. Uh, yeah, you were right that these are taking considerably longer than but I It's thought. fun, um, though. Like, I don't mean that in a bad way. Like, I just... <laughs> This is a ton of fun. Do you want to go for like one more or two more? Um, I'd like to do two more if we could. Maybe favorite more, yeah. favorite research article okay. and lesson we learned. Yeah, that sounds great. Uh, second thing, before I forget, earlier I said Jonah's name, so just flag that if you if you want to chop that out. Oh, thanks. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah, okay. No problem. Thank okay. you. All right. So we are going to do next up favorite research article. Yeah. Do you want to start us so, off on that or do you want me to go? Yeah, I can, I can share. So, I mean, um, 
two totally different thoughts. Thought one is that I really gravitated toward more descriptive research this year. I think maybe this is my own thinking for my, my research as well as what I'm um, looking for in others, but kind of less being more, um, more kind of uh, detailed and, and descriptive answers to kind of one question rather than kind of quite complicated studies. And, and so um, that, that was one thing I was sort of drawn to in a kind of generally, but the specific study, which isn't really descriptive, but I just, just love the study was um, one by a physics education uh, researcher, Aaron Warren. And it's on uh, this topic. I think I mentioned it maybe back in our first episode, but um, kids reasoning about the world in a Bayesian way, in this case, undergraduate students. Um, I was just really surprised to read such a, a well done educational research study by someone who's a physicist in training. Uh, by training. Um, I'll have a link in the show notes. Um, there's uh, a 2018 paper and then a 2020 paper by the same author. And um, I believe the 2020 paper, um, the, the 2018 paper looked at like pre post differences in students' ideas about the nature of science and scientific knowledge. And the 2020 paper extended that study by um, not just looking at pre post changes, but looking at differences in pre post changes between a class with kind of Bayesian integrated stuff and then a kind of business as usual class. So it used this maybe slightly more rigorous study design to kind of show that um, those pre-post changes were were probably due in some way to those Bayesian activities. So really love those that those, those two studies, but I guess I had the 2018 one in mind. How about how about you? Uh, oh, uh, before I say mine, can I just ask a question yeah, about yeah. yours really quick? <laughs> sure. What what do you Sorry. think, not that you had to pick one had to pick one, but what do you think <laughs> grabbed you about that research article was it the fact that they did like a took a Bayesian approach in you know with young kids or was it like the the impressive methods one would have to take to actually like tease that out of the data? It was a little. Thanks for asking that. It was a little yeah. different than either of those, which was that they made these Bayesian ideas accessible. Mm. They didn't throw, sorry, I need a better metaphor. No one's, yeah. Um, they didn't um, make the activity not rigorous and make it sort of superficial, but they also weren't teaching their undergraduate students to open up some, you know, some statistical software programming language and do a full-on Bayesian analysis. Yeah. They found a way to kind of retain the core idea and make it accessible to first year physics or just first year students taking physics, uh, uh in college. And, um, that was really impressive to me. I, I was kind of looking for that and trying to come up with that on my own for really, to be honest, like for a couple of years now. And, um, I think there's other ways to do what, what they did, like other ways to make these ideas accessible, but I think they were really successful in, in doing that. And that, I think of that as like a really, like, that's like a, a hard thing to do. Like you have to kind of be in both mindsets at once. You have to know, in this case, the stats well, but you also have to know kind of how a, a newcomer, someone totally new to these ideas will kind of glom onto them. So yeah, that was, yeah, that was the key to me, even more so than the good writing and the and pretty careful experimental design to tease out that there was a change. I think they did a good job with that too. So the whole, the whole piece, um, the, all the pieces were there, but yeah, that was the key for me. Hmm. Yeah. That sounds cool. That's super cool. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for asking that. Um, mine was a, uh, a, an article called longitudinal effects of teacher use of the computer data system on student achievement. And that's by, uh, Jeffrey C. Wayman, Shana Shaw, and Vincent Cho. And oh, I really like this I know, one. I, I know, I know that last author. We're friends oh, on Twitter. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, okay. Sweet. I'm, I'm going to have to go find, find and follow also. Um, we talked about chickens recently on Twitter. Oh, crazy. yeah. You're, you're, uh, yeah. How are your chickens doing by the way? They're doing good. Thank you for asking. Sorry yeah. to interrupt. Yeah, no problem. Um, I shared this article and also um, wrote about it. And I've been doing this thing where, you know, I've been finding articles I think are interesting and then and then writing about the findings in a narrative, you know, a kind of uh, broadly accessible sort of fun way. Um, you know, not, not, not that it's not fun on its own, but you know what I mean? You know, in a way that feels a little more like a story, um, uh, just as a way to communicate sort of, you know, what I got out of 
the article. And this is one that I did that for. I think this is one of my first sort of experiments with, you know, trying to write that way. But I also ended up talking about this article a lot in talks and stuff that I did this year. And that's because I, I am where my mind has been a lot with data is, is uh, how, how much we believe that it on its own can solve problems. Right. Like, I just think, you know, I just think on some level, particularly in public education, you know, we've had so long where, you know, maybe we weren't looking at data and then, you know, because of it probably due largely to like a number of policy, you know, changes in the early two thousands, um, data became a thing that we sort of had to look at. Um, and, Part of what I feel like has happened just anecdotally observing is that just like with any sort of new thing that makes its way into an industry, it takes a while for nuance to start to to come, right? Like it's new tools are kind of used in fairly extreme ways because that's the extent that we understand it. You know, then it tends to swing out in the other direction and then it lands kind of somewhere in the middle, right? I always think of like the old money ball and baseball thing, not to go back to another cliche, but like you know, the original sort of like initial arguments and debate about that was like, well, you're either, you know, a stat head who analyzes, you know, you know, recruiting prospects just through the numbers, or you're a, you know, from, you know, from the gut recruit uh, uh, scout, you know, you you kind of play these sort of extremes. And then like, you know, fast forward, like 20 years later, nuance comes along and people realize, oh, that's kind of like, now we kind of rejected the premise of that debate, right? And now it's just like, how do we combine those two things to, you yeah, know, to make yeah. the best decisions possible? Yeah. And I feel like from my point of view, uh, that's kind of what's ha- what happens and has happened in public education is, uh, you know, we didn't have a lot of data, then data became a thing we had to use. And then it became a thing that we're just like, it can answer anything. It's the proof right? The allure of, of the objective information that can help us cut through all of our, you know, errors. And of course, there's some truth in that. Of course, that's why we all love data, but like, but, but on another level, there's some danger in that because we can, we can relieve ourselves of the responsibility of uh, using it well. Right. And, and I think going back to this article, a long way to get back to this article, this article is really great because they did this experiment where they followed, um, you know, this cohort of students, for a period of time, I don't remember exactly, you know, how, how long it was, multiple years though. And uh, they took um, the usage data of the um, software, instructional software that the teachers used, and they um, they analyzed the relationship between that the, the usage of the data in the software and student achievement. And they did this in four different areas, like reading and math, and then like in the elementary and secondary levels. And what they found is that in three out of the four, the amount that the teachers used the data had no effect on the achievement of the students. And one of the four had an effect, but it was like a fairly small effect. And I really like this because again, you know, uh, valuing nuance, like one would be forgiven for reading this article or, or, or reading the abstract and be like, see, I told you data doesn't do anything, but actually like they have a pretty nuanced approach to this, which is to say, uh, well, it just can you know, you have to use it. You actually have to use, like simply logging on and looking at the data isn't necessarily going to solve any problems. Right. And then they proceed to then point to these other stories and research articles that are like, it had a pretty big effect in this experiment over here. But the difference is that they had they explicitly used the data to improve, you know, teacher and leadership craft. Like they they actually you know they took it and then they changed the way that they did their work directly from you know from that in com- combination with professional judgment and stuff like that. So you know that's something. I, last thing I'll say about this guy is sort of long you know long long winded, but like using data well. I, something we all kind of intuitively know is required in order for us for that tool to be like useful. Right. But like, it's nice to be able to see a study and just be like, Oh, I could tell this story and it's much more compelling because these are, you know, these are scientists who put a lot of thought into like, how can we understand this better? And what are the, the, uh, the caveats of like this exploration. 
uh, you know, again, just going back to nuance as an important thing. So I went back to this a lot. I use this article a lot this year. Yeah, I think um, that's a great example of that that point that you made at the outset of um, of like when we are maybe new to things, we kind of have this like all or nothing kind of this is amazing or this is terrible approach and um, and that's like a maybe you can sorry um, like in terms of like how that applies to as you put it kind of this emphasis on educators and others like administrators using data that was especially emphasized in the early 2000s in this kind of reform era um, <clears throat> the question of like does looking at data impact student outcomes is like a pretty kind of like coarse kind of like very dichotomous falsely kind of question yeah, <laughs> so yeah that's a great great yeah. sorry i'm just making sense of what you were saying but yeah um yeah yeah that's, that sounds like a good study have to give Vincent a shout out on Twitter. Oh yeah. Yeah, please do. I'm going to go find him and follow him also. Um, okay. Last one lesson we learned. I'm sure we learned many, but I think the, the idea is we pick one, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think so. How about you? What's your primary takeaway from this year or a takeaway? Yeah. A takeaway. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, the way I wrote it in my notes was, the lesson I learned was to wait for the story to reveal itself. And I think of this in two contexts, one in the writing and my writing, you know, I think the way something I really learned this year was, uh, you know, the way I used to write is like, okay, what is this about? Why is this interesting? What's the story now? Write it. And, and certainly that's a, I found that's a good way to start, but I learned, you know, through writing the K-12 educators data guidebook, uh, you know, I think I told the story and, you know, the last time we talked, the story didn't show itself to me or I, or I didn't see it, however you want to think of it, until the last, like, the last, really, like, the last part of the writing, you know? And uh, I just didn't expect that to happen. But boy, when I understood what the book, the way I think of it is what the book wanted to be, uh, I had so much more clarity about it. And uh, I'm just was surprised that it didn't come until very late in the uh you know, the process. I haven't written enough books to say that that's the way it always happens, but, but the lesson there for me was it's okay to just to write as a way to explore and find, you know, what that story is and not close the door on too many possibilities until, you know, you're, you're far enough into the process that you realize, like, this is the way I'm going to bring it into the world. Um, but also true, even, you know, for like, life in general for me, I, you know, I, I'm a, I'm somebody who likes to plan and control everything, or at least indulge the illusion of control. And like, and, uh, and lately, uh, you know, I, I've, I've been a little bit more, uh, open to the idea of like, I don't really, I can't have any certainty about how things are going to turn out. You know, certainly we should plan, uh, but I heard this great, I think it was Mark Manson who defined it this way. It was really interesting. Uh, plan, you know, planning isn't a thing that you do because you know for sure it's going to give you good results. A thing, it's a thing, I'm paraphrasing here. It's a thing that you do basically to fool yourself into acting. So you don't just sit there doing nothing paralyzed by the uncertainty. And as soon as I read that, I'm like, wow, boy, that feels really true. So I've been just kind of, you know, being more open to uh, this idea of like, let's plan because it gives me clarity, but also let's enjoy the fact that like, I really don't know what's going to happen. I don't, you know, I just, I just don't know. Maybe it'll be better than I expected. Maybe it'll be, uh, worse. Maybe it'll be what I hoped, but delivered in a way that is completely like unexpected for me. And isn't that like a wonderful and fun thing, you know, like, uh, and so, that's to me is another version of like, wait for the story to reveal itself. Like, I don't know. Like I, I, I how can I actually know? You know, let's, let, let's see, let's, let's act as if we do know, but then let's just be open to whatever happens. Like there's a joy in that. I'm seeing a nice, okay. So I, uh, you, you said, let the story come to you. And I, I had an idea what I was going to share for this, mm -hmm. but um, actually I'm seeing now more clearly what it is. And it's, 
it's actually sort of like a mirror to yours in that I have for a while sort of been someone who has sort of operated by the seat of, of one's kind of pants, so to speak. And this was like such a transitional year for me and for my family too, in a lot of ways. And I'm like doing things I haven't done in terms of like, like planning and like actually like, like trying to like have a manageable schedule. (laughs) And, um, and so it's, it's, it's actually a nice contrast with yours, I think. And maybe it's kind of a phases of life kind of thing or phases of life for us in particular, but, um, yeah, I'm kind of in this mode of really trying to, um, (laughs) trying to have some degree of control, I guess, just to make this stark a contrast as possible. This is Um, fascinating. Yeah, it is. Uh, I agree. And it's, it's, that doesn't sound very romantic or exciting to me. And it's very like dissonant with like how I see myself and my, um, my life really. But, um, yeah. So is it, has your experience been, I know part of my struggle was, you know, with this experimenting with this different way of thinking. And I think you're kind of pointing towards this is there is, there's a little bit of a feeling of, the other way of doing things is so much part of your identity, whether that's imagined or not, whatever, like that kind of doesn't matter for the point of the conversation. But I remember feeling like if I don't, who would I be if I didn't plan? And, and like, and is like, is it, does that feel okay? Like it, that's a little bit of the, uh, the struggle, you know, like I, was that, I mean, you're, what you were talking about is the inverse of that, which I find endlessly fascinating, but is it, does it, do you have a same kind of inner conversation happening? Um, thanks for asking that. This is so new to me. I haven't even thought through this. Like I I had this, this, this didn't even really crystallize in my mind until this conversation, this like (laughs) shift, but, um, it, uh, yeah, it feels just very, like very foreign to me. Like I, like having some degree of stability, like having, yeah, like my wife, uh, Katie started like a, a great job as a school librarian. I'm like happy in my job and like, just like not like thinking about like moving or like yeah thinking about like just, yeah, it just feels very foreign and very strange and it yeah. feels very uncomfortable. I actually dislike it in a way. Like I feel yeah. like, like, what is this? Like, this is too normal. This is like a <laughs> too much. I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know it's really a privilege and I'm not unaware of that at all. I mean, I'm not unaware of that, but um, yeah, it's uh, it does feel like this is not me. I'm not really sure how to resolve that. Um, I feel, yeah, sorry. I think I already said what I, what I need to. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I love that, man. That's just, just so interesting. You know, it's almost like, uh, uh, you know, what we, we, maybe it's one of these things where it's like, we see what we need to, <laughs> to see out of a situation, you know, because, because maybe like a previous way of thinking was perfect for, for the time that we had it. And then at some point it has to develop into something else just because mm. like it changes a person, you know, your just life changes and it's not as well suited, you know, to your present, you know, now that I don't know, like I, there's so many different ways that we can construct, you know, the framing of it, but like, that's kind of the way it's felt like to me is like, yeah, I don't yeah, yeah. feel bad that I, that I, you know, that that's so much of my, my personality, I think in some ways that had to be, uh, it had to be that way for a certain time. And, and, and maybe it's just not like that anymore, you know? So I don't know. That's, I just, I just love, like, I, I love that. Uh, we couldn't have planned this any better. <laughs> so we have like these mirror, <laughs> you know, kinds of uh, life lessons that just interesting. <laughs> yeah, it really is. I mean, I, I can't tell you, Ryan, how this is so fresh in my mind. I spent the weekend organizing our house like it's so my wife is just like I, I think she doesn't know what's going on like it's just so <laughs> who are you so strange <laughs> yeah like you did you just like organize our drawer of things it's just very strange yeah, yeah anyway, I love that. um yeah wow yeah good ending uh yeah thanks for sharing thanks for being yeah i think it's at least i'll speak to to you i think it's it's good it's yeah it's um it's a good thing yeah um, I don't know about me, but we'll see. Time will tell. Well, who knows, right? It's just, it's something different, if nothing else. (laughs)
<laughs> yeah. If, if yeah, enough said. Yeah, we'll leave it there. Yeah. Okay. I I enjoy that. I think that was fun. If you yeah. if you think about it too, we should probably take a moment and like and pause and just pat ourselves on the back for doing an entire year. When did we start about practice? In January, February. It was definitely. I I remember the first tweet that I posted about it. It was. Um. I think I want to say February. Yeah. Wow. So I think if you count the trailer, 12 episodes, there or 11, go. which, yeah, so one a month. So that's, that's go. a good, yeah. That is pretty I cool. Okay, Josh, I think this is a good place to end. Thank you for not only for this episode, but for a year of about practice, which has been, I have really enjoyed doing this and uh, I'm really looking forward to doing another, another year of it, man. This has been really great to talk to you as always. But also, this has been great. Uh, I've learned from like every one of our guests. And also like, it just, it's made my creativity better. Just, you know, so thought provoking, you know, just the kinds of conversations I have found myself in with you. So thank you. It's been a good friend, Ryan. Appreciate it. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. Okay. Have a great evening. <laughs>